0: Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, tonight talking about entering into the rest of God. And so just kind of a a highlight or overview of of what we're going to look at tonight. And um, and that is that when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we enter into rest by faith. And that was something the children of Israel missed out on uh, as they um, made it all the way to Canaan land. Um, sent 12 spies in, 10 spies come back, report the the people there are like giants, and there's just no way that they can take the land. And, and so in disobedience, the children of Israel do not go into Canaan land. And so uh, that was their promised inheritance. That's uh, the good that God had planned for them, and they missed out on entering into that rest, um, that, that inheritance God had for them. Uh, because of their disobedience, and so you enter into God's rest by faith and so if you're looking at Hebrews chapter four, you'll see that probably the um, the heading is uh, something to do with the rest of God or the the inheritance of God or the promised rest of God um, and so that's kind of going to be um, the overview kind of the the one theme that goes throughout Hebrews chapter four is this notion of entering into the rest of God that comes. Uh, out of chapter 3 and how the uh, children of Israel did not enter into that rest but there are also two or three of probably the most well-known verses um in this chapter 4 of Hebrews uh, verses like um, uh sh- that that the word of god sharper than any two-edged sword uh found in this particular passage and so um uh really uh this this passage really just packed full of good theology and and good um information to help us with our doctrine and then um with our practice and how we live out our faith so i think it's um i think it's six forty-five, and so we're going to go ahead and get started and so if you have your copy of god's word uh hebrews chapter 4 i'm using the um uh, christian standard bible is what i've been using for a while on our uh, doing our bible studies and so uh, i enjoy um uh, the work that's been produced here and so um yeah, I encourage you uh, at least have more than one um, translation of Scripture uh, so that you can read and kind of see if there's a big dis- discrepancy between two translations and then there's probably a problem there. Now, what you'll probably find is that um, with our modern translations, well, and when I say modern, I mean going all the way back to the King James Version, uh, even before that Geneva Bible in Germany uh, as well by Martin Luther. Uh What we find is that typically the the words may be a little different here they are the sentence structure may be different, but we get the same same meaning and so if if we leave um God's word with the same meaning, having understood what the Word of God says um I think it's just good to have a couple translation to to bounce things off of to read through uh you may read in one version and there may be a word you don't quite understand how it fits into relation where another translation. Uh, maybe more accurately depicts that word in the original Greek and Hebrew. Uh, so um, so I encourage you. So I have every Bible translation there is, and I'm just kind of talking to get us started. Um, and I read every translation, every passage that I, that I teach or preach. I'm going to read it in multiple translations. Uh, I'm going to do the, the word studies and, and research the, the Greek and the Hebrew and find out if there's anything significant there that needs to be brought out from the original language. Typically, there's not. Typically, our translations do a great job of bringing out the original intent and the meaning of the words there. There are times where we need to talk a little bit about the the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic um, in some parts of, say, the end of Daniel. Um, That we need to talk about those because um, there's something significant there based on the word. Uh, For instance, um, if you... I I was just doing uh, writing a paper um, on... um, the Garden of Eden whether or not it was the, the first temple of God and rather the temples uh, Solomon builds a temple uh, and then Herod builds the temple that uh, we see the foundations of today did the found did those temples represent or reflect on uh, the temple of the Garden of Eden was, was the Garden of Eden really a temple and so the, the two words used by God to tell Adam to um, uh, to um, Keep the garden, uh, abide, um and to cultivate the garden. Uh, sumer, which and, and um, those two words are the same words that are used to tell the priest what they are to do in the temple when it, they're called to protect um, the tabernacle when they're setting up in the wilderness, the priest of the temple that's built in Jerusalem. Uh, the same two commands are given, the same two Hebrews word, and yet they're translated different. So in Genesis, uh Adam's told to keep uh and cultivate the garden. Those two same Hebrew words to the priest are uh to protect um and to teach. And so uh, so that's pretty interesting. And so we may miss that in our English translations if we're just reading through. We may not even know that the those two words are the same uh Hebrew words. And so it's stuff like that, I think it's important. Uh, but just kind of want to get you a, a, a little warmed up, I guess, and thinking a little bit. And now we're just going to jump in Hebrews four, and I just I want to walk through it. So I want to read kind of the first three verses, um, and and then walk through after that. And uh, and there'll be some um, two or three verses we'll look at together. Um, so let's just begin, yeah. Hebrews chapter four. Um, just like almost every um, chapter in Scripture starts with therefore. So it's referring back to the, to the uh, chapter before. Uh, remember that in the chapter before, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we're talking about entering into rest. And so uh, just, think, just think ahead. Where have we heard the word rest? Where do we hear it all the time in Scripture? So the Sabbath is a, a day of rest. Uh, God created the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. Uh, the Levites would put up the tabernacle in the wilderness as they traveled toward the promised land. And then on the seventh day, they rested after they had um, uh, put up the tabernacle as they traveled uh, with that through the wilderness uh, in the temple. Uh, so, so the law of the Jewish people, the the, the Sabbath rest. And so we're talking about uh, a concept of not a literal, necessarily physical day of rest, even though I think that's important. And I think scripture uh, supports that, to have, have a particular day of rest. Um, it's not to nap all day or to, to stay in bed all day. Uh, actually, it's to delight in the work you have done previous to that day. And so you take a day to delight in what you have done in the work that you have been about as God created the world. And then on the Sabbath day, delights and rest in the fact of what he's created. Uh, it was good. And so that's what we're going to gonna, gonna kind of be talking about. And this chapter is going to allude to all those things. So I know it kind of maybe it's almost like a, uh, you know, a shotgun spread. I'm throwing a bunch of stuff at you. Uh, but as we get through this passage, you begin to see how they start to, uh, to fit together. So uh, it starts with therefore looking back at. Uh, the last verse, let's just read that. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And what did the, what were they unable to enter into? The rest that God had prepared for them. So their inheritance, uh, literally Canaan land for the children of Israel. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of us be found to have fallen short. Now that word beware, uh, probably a more accurate word in the Greek uh, would be uh, just the English translation of it would be to fear. So let us beware. I, I like uh, many translations that will say, let us fear. Um, none of us be found to have been fallen short. So so the, the writer of Hebrews is about to go into the direction of saying that there needs to be unity in faith. And then when there's unity in faith, then we can enter into the rest of God. We can enter into the inheritance and the promise of God. Um, and so the writer just starts out chapter 4 by saying, by, by really encouraging believers, let's not fall short of unity of faith. Let, let's not be like the children of Israel to make it all the way to the finish line, seemingly so. And then to backtrack because of unbelief or disunity, and so what it really what it really signifies is that the the people were not united in faith, and so they they weren't able to go into the promised land because the majority of the people were afraid to enter into it. And what the writer of Hebrews does here it's it's kind of very sophisticated as he shifts the fear from the fear of the Israelites to go into the rest of God, by shifting it and saying now the rest of God really depends on. Your fear of, of of being left out of that inheritance, and so let us, in fear, make sure we don't fall short. Verse two says, "For we uh, also have received the good news, just as they did. So we've received the message of God, just like them. Um, but the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. And that's why it's just." Just kind of getting a little ahead of myself, but but you kind of see what the writers say in there. We've all received the message. Hebrews is a great faith book of the Bible. Uh, Faith is a huge theme, not not only through Hebrews, but also throughout the entire scriptures. But this unity of faith of the people is a big, big idea here. And that kind of transposes onto the church for the writer of the book of Hebrews. Uh, so let us not be guilty of unifying in our faith so that we don't miss out on the inheritance that God has for us, the blessings of God. Uh, verse 3 says, for we who have believed enter the rest. And so, so I want to make sure that you don't um, mistake what, what verse 1 seems to imply. Verse 1 seems to imply, uh, watch out, be on guard, beware, uh, be of fear so that you don't fall short of what God's calling you to. But then verse 3 kind of clarifies what it is exactly God's saying. And what God's saying is, if you believe, you've already entered into the rest. And, uh, and he goes on saying, in keeping with what he has said. Um, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Again, the children of Israel will not enter the rest of God. He, he's angered at them for their disbelief, for their... Um, um, Rebellion, walking away from where he's brought them to, to go back into the wilderness. Um, and so he says, So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. And so what we believe in and what we put our faith and trust in is not something new. It's not something that is yet to be done, uh, even though faith is believing in it before we see it. So So we are to enter into rest what God's promised us, our inheritance of God, based on our faith and what has been finished in the work of Jesus Christ. So once you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, now you have entered into the rest that God has has talked about in the writer of Hebrews is referring to. And that rest, again, is the inheritance that God has for you. So for all who believe, right, for those who Um, by grace and through faith, have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. They have an inheritance now in heaven with, or or in the new uh, heaven, new earth, with Jesus Christ reigning in the very presence of God uh, there. And so uh, we, we have already obtained that rest. Even before the foundation of the world, this rest has been available. God's made it known. Uh, And so those who, uh, through unbelief and disobedience and rebellion to God, uh, fail to enter the rest, which is what verse 1 is really saying. Listen, be of fear and beware that you don't fall short of believing through faith and by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Because the work of Christ is the finished work of Christ. And, and our rest, our inheritance, the promise of God is not dependent on what I can do, not dependent on what you can do, but our inheritance is dependent on what has already been accomplished in Christ. Um, yeah, so even before the foundation of the world, it kind of takes you back to like Ephesians 1.4, that we've been chosen in Christ even before the foundations of the world, uh, Ephesians 1.4 says. And so the, here the Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews is kind of um, building on that same case that, the, that Paul makes in Ephesians, um, that the rest we're talking about, the inheritance we're talking about, the blessings we, we're talking about here, how do we enter into that? And it's uh, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith and trust, you believe in Christ, um, at that moment you have already are entering into the rest of God that he's prepared for you before the foundation of the world uh, verse 4 says for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way and on the seventh day God rested from all his works. so we talked about that again just want to make sure you understand that this notion of Sabbath is more than just um, entering into rest in the sense of what we might call rest today so it's it's not simply laying around all Sunday Uh, for Christians in the New Testament who um, kind of treat Sunday as a Sabbath day when we gather together and we worship God and we really delight in God Uh, for for others who hold creation. God spends six days creating, and then on the Sabbath he rests. It's literally that God took a break from creating, right? And enjoyed and delighted in all he had made. And so he rested in the sense that he didn't create anything new. But he didn't, you know, God doesn't need to sleep. So what did God do if he didn't sleep, right? Or if that's our notion of what rest is, God delighted in what he made. He said it is good, right? And so in the same way, if we do a good, honest day's work, everything we do, we do to the glory of God, then we're able to take a day which we need, or physically we need a day of rest, and we're able to delight in the work that's already been done. The, the work that we've been able to accomplish through Christ for the glory of God. And, and so I just want to make sure, because in America we have a, this sense of the Sabbath day rest being a day where you, you don't do anything. And you'll remember that even the uh, the Pharisees kind of had a warped view of the Sabbath rest. And, and where Jesus told them, you know, like, what? Well, Is it evil for me to heal a man on the Sabbath? Uh, Of course it's not. And the Sabbath indeed is made for man, not for God. God is the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, And so the writer of Hebrews here is acknowledging and saying we need a Sabbath day rest. But the rest he's talking about just above that is this rest where we're talking about the inheritance of God. A Sabbath day rest, or us taking a day of rest, uh, that's more of uh, delighting in the work we've accomplished. And so some people um, really cannot do a Sabbath because they don't work, right? I mean, I don't mean at a job, but they don't do they, they're not about anything. And so if we're really about the work that God's placed before us, um, the the occupation that, that we've been called to, whatever that may be, um, how we treat other people throughout the week then a Sabbath day is a time for us to delight in all that's been accomplished uh, the six days leading up to the Sabbath. Um, Yes, so God continues here and says, uh, or the right Hebrews does, um, again in verse 5. Again in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter, and for those formerly received, the good news did not enter because of disobedience. I don't want to get, Uh, Too confused or tied up, it's just the children of Israel did not enter to the rest of God. And he says it all through chapter 3, he says it all through chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews. It may seem like I'm repeating myself, I am, because the writer is repeating himself. Um, And yet, this is some of the most sophisticated writing in in Greek that we find anywhere in the New Testament. So it's not on an elementary level, this is written a really sophisticated book. Um, the children, like formerly the children of Israel, formerly received the good news of God. Their unbelief, as they are about to enter into the land of Canaan, um, results in them losing their inheritance, their blessing of their rest in Canaan land. And it falls to their descendants; it falls to the next generation. Verse seven, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And, and so he, here's just the sense of that. Uh, when God tells you to do something, do it today. Uh, God, everything that God will place on our heart to do, there should be a sense of urgency to do what it is God's called us to do. Uh, the word of God is not something we ought to place on the back burner. But, but when God reveals to us through his word, uh, through commands and imperatives and and other uh, types of statements that we ought to be doing something or maybe um, things we should abstain from, then we need to be quick in a hurry with a sense of urgency to do what it is God's called us to do. Likewise, if, if God through the Holy Spirit of God speaks to your heart or calls you to some ministry or tells you to do something through his Holy Spirit. Right? The very Spirit of God living within the believer speaks to the believer. Uh, on behalf of God. So when God speaks. We hear. We, re, we respond with urgency. So today if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Now we're up to verse 8. Verse 8 says. For if Joshua had given them rest. God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. So here, the writer up to this point is kind of intermingled, entering into the rest that God has prepared for those who are who believe through faith and the notion of a Sabbath rest. And so what the writer of Hebrews does here is, um, again, it's just a, the writing is very sophisticated. What he does here is he goes back and he brings those two concepts together and he says, Because of their unbelief, now they required a day of rest. Had they not had unbelief, they would have went into and entered into the rest of God in the promised land of Canaan. Remember all the promises that there were there. I mean, um, remember the curse of Canaan way back in Genesis where, um, of course, Ham kind of mocks his father and makes fun of him. Uh, Noah's drunk and naked. Uh, And he doesn't curse him, he curses Canaan. And basically the curse of Canaan is just to be fulfilled through the children of Israel. uh, Where Israel is told that they're going to live in homes they didn't build. They're going to eat of vineyards they didn't plant. All that was waiting for them to walk into and inherit as the rest God had prepared for them. But because they hardened their hearts, because they did not, um, they weren't obedient to God. They missed the rest of God. They missed the inheritance, God. The blessing that God had prepared for them. And so now they desperately needed a day of rest. So so verse 8, let me just so For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the people who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. So, uh, yeah, so just, just what I, I said just a moment ago, I just want to uh, repeat it one time. So had the children of Israel proceeded in, in what God had called them to do, in faith and trust and belief, they would have entered into the rest of God. They would have entered into Canaan land. The land would have been given to them. God would have done all the bidding for them, and they would, would have just been recipients of this great inheritance. By disbelief and uh, disobedience and rebellion, they lost out on that. And so now another day has to be distinguished, a day of rest. Why? Because of their disbelief, because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion. And so uh, I've already said, I think it's it's... Most uh, practical, and I think God intends for us to observe a literal day of rest. That is different than entering into the promised inheritance of God that the writer of Hebrews calls rest. Entering into his rest, that is his inheritance for us. We've already entered into that rest if by faith, through grace, we have put our belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So one day we will inherit and receive the rest that we've already entered into. Until that day comes, there needs to be a day of observance where we reflect and delight in the work that we've done. And so if we are obedient to God, if we try to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ in all we do in our relationships, our work, if we're sharing the gospel and being about missions and taking the the word of God to the very ends of the earth, uh, starting in our own communities, then, then this Sabbath day of rest is a day where we reflect and delight in the work that we've done. And that's, that's all the writer of Hebrews has really said through these first um, nine, nine verses or so. As he has said, the children of Israel did not enter their rest because of disbelief and, and a lack of unity and faith. And those who believe have entered the rest of God. And then he's kind of given us the history of the Israelites' rejection in the wilderness as they're about to cross into Canaan, and then the 40 years of wandering that they go through. And now this needed Sabbath day of rest, which is different and distinguished from the rest of God in the sense of the inheritance and the blessing uh, that awaits us because of our faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says, Uh, And I may have read it, but just going to repeat. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience, the disobedience of the children of Israel. And now verse 12. For the word of God is living and effective, or active, and sharper than any double-edged or two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, Uh, It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So here's the deal. Of course, uh, a a double-edged sword has no blunt end. Um, So it cuts both ways. Um, And the Bible kind of does that. I can remember um, just on one occasion that I was invited to to preach at another church. And it was a church that I was familiar with them. They're familiar with me. Uh, and it, it was, I mean, it, it was part of, they were doing a revival um, where they invited different pastors to come in on different nights. I've done that at several churches. And so it was nothing unusual for me. I prayed about what God would have me to to share with the the church that night. And, uh, and so I shared what, what God placed on my heart. And I remember afterwards, uh, I was kind of greeting people. They were greeting me, and and, and we were just kind of being pleasant. And uh, and I had this uh, one lady who came up to me, and she was angry with me. And uh, she basically said to me that she had never had a sermon that was centered around her, and she didn't appreciate it. Um, what, what she was really saying is, uh, Pastor, I don't appreciate you preaching to me uh, about something you know in my life that's been told you. Uh, the problem was I didn't know. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know what she was talking about. Uh, because that's what the Word of God has a tendency to do. If there's something not right in our lifestyle, if there's something not right in our family, if there's something not right in our church family, then the Word of God has a way of cutting through all the nonsense uh, and really cutting us right to the heart. And exposing to us um, just the depth of our own rebellion many times. And so maybe you've experienced that in some form where you, you went to a church service and the pastor preached a sermon and it was almost like the pastor was preaching just to you. Uh, or maybe you've been doing your devotion and you get up in the morning and, and you open up your devotion and when you read it, You just start praying because you know that, man, that this was speaking directly to your heart and that maybe it was something you need to repent over. That's what the Word of God does. It is a living and active book, right? It's um, it's God's holy and inspired Word. God breathed um, the Holy Spirit still revealing it to us as believers. And when we open God's Word, we ought to expect to come into relation and contact and fellowship with God. It's His Word. And when we come into contact with God, very rarely do we feel good about ourselves. Why? Because we're not God. Uh, and we can't become God. And, uh, and so we live on this side of eternity in a world fallen with, by sin. And so we read the Word of God and we see what the standard is for God's people. And we fall short of that. And, uh, and that's what the Word of God does, man. It cuts through all the nonsense, right? All the excuses that we make. All the passes we give. The Word of God just cuts right to the heart of the matter. And, and it's why we desperately need to be in God's Word daily so that, um, so that God's Word is, is uh, f- you know, feeding our, our souls and, and feeding not only what we believe but how we live. And, uh, and that's what God's Word really does, man. It'll cut you to the quick. And, uh, man, I'm glad we need that. Uh, We need we need pastors to preach sermons like that uh, in love, uh, just with genuine and sincerity. I never have to make the Bible more severe. I never have to add to Scripture to make it accomplish what it needs to accomplish. Scripture alone is enough. Right. Scripture by itself, just uh, solo Scripture, just Scripture, Scripture alone. Um, without us adding anything to it. I sometimes I uh, think about Nehemiah, Ezra, uh, and they find uh, rebuilding the walls and, and they find the scrolls. They find like the, the prophets and the law. And there's this picture of Ezra just reading, and everybody is um, just kind of uh, just think about a packed house. And he, he's just reading God's word. And the people are just craving it. Um, He's not expounding scripture; doesn't say scripture says he's reading the scroll, and they won't go home like they don't want him to stop because God's word is living and active. It's His holy and inspired word. It accomplishes what it needs to accomplish every time it goes out. It doesn't return void. And so the writer of Hebrews here is saying just how the word of God works in the life. Of those who have um, put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, we read it. It's a living book. Uh, when someone is lost. Picks up the word of God. Prior to becoming saved. If they if come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's just a book. It, it only seems to book because their hearts are hardened to the word and to the will and to the way of God. But to Believers. We open the word of God and it's like God speaking directly into our life and our hearts and it cuts. And when there's something wrong in our life, the word of God will reveal it to you through the spirit of God living within you. And, uh, and so that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Um, let's not be, he's, remember, it's talking about entering the rest of God through unity of faith, through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've done that, you've already entered the rest. Be careful. Be aware, be fearful that you don't fall short of that. And so in in this, um, he's really challenging the believer um, here to a lifestyle that is evidently impacted by Christ. And so he tells us, Right above in verse 11, let us then make every effort and enter the rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. And then he gives us this, this um, it's not just a formula, but the writer of Hebrews is saying, "If you don't want to fall short, if you don't want to live in disobedience, and after the pattern of disobedience that the Israelites did, then here's his word, and it prevents you from living in disobedience, because its words cut like a double-edged sword. It cuts through the nonsense and the lies and all the things we tell ourselves. And it reveals who we really are. It really is like staring into a mirror and seeing yourself for who you really are. Uh, It's like looking into a mirror and seeing your actions for what they are. Um, It's like looking in a mirror that um, brightly shows you all of your shortcomings and your need for Christ. Um... And that could be a hard teaching if the writer of Hebrews doesn't continue on. It could be the sense of every time we open the Word, it's just like getting beat up and cut to the, to the core. But, but he, he writes about our Savior and Jesus and the spirit with which he came. And so even though this, this teaching seems a little hard in this particular couple of verses where, you know, uh, don't be disobedient. Read the Word of God. It'll cut you to your core. It'll separate the bone and marrow. Um, nobody's hidden from it. We lay naked before it. But then he goes into 14 and, uh, and begins to make this teaching much more palatable in a sense. Now, God's Word is not in, intended to be palatable, by us, so I don't want you to think that's what I'm suggesting. But what I'm saying is that the the writer of Hebrews is there's this evolution that's taking place in this chapter from make sure you don't fall short. Remember the Israelites and their disobedience. If you by faith through grace, right, uh, or through grace by faith have believed in Christ, you've entered the rest. Don't forget the children of Israel and their disobedience. Make sure you're not disobedient. Look to the Word of God that's, sharper, uh, that's sharp and active, right? It's a living two-edged sword. And that's kind of where we've gotten to so that no one escapes uh, the Word of God that reveals who we are to ourselves. And then in 14, he talks about he shifts his focus to off of us and onto Christ. That's always a good thing to do, right? To shift our focus off of us and onto Christ. When we're focused on us. It's a dark picture. It's bleak. It's it, The outcome's not that good when we focus on ourselves. Uh, even when we're focused on others, which we need to do, we've been commanded to do that, to love our neighbors as ourselves. But there's a prerequisite to that, and that prerequisite is um, loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, taking the attention off ourselves, putting, putting it on God. Then we can love our neighbors as we should. And so in 14, the writer of Hebrews, very sophisticated, uh, this, this chapter, this book, uh, in, in its writing and its use of, of Greek. Um, just um, 14, he just decides, all right, I've been talking about you. What you need to do and what you should do. And, and if he doesn't switch to Christ, it becomes a me-centered chapter. And maybe even a me-centered book. But remember, the book of Hebrews is about the preeminence of Christ. It's about Christ being the center of everything and supreme over everything. And so we know that the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews isn't going to stay in this us and what we can do in this me-centered instruction. But eventually he's going to shift back to a a Christ-centered message. So if we don't want to be disobedient and we're going to stay in the word of God and through... through um, faith by grace right we, we come to faith and repentance and we've been saved by Christ and now we have entered the rest of God that, that rest that was pronounced before the foundation of the world uh, now the, the focus shifts and it shifts to Christ in verse 14 he says therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast to our confession so now the focus is off of us, The focus is off of us spending time in the word. The focus is off of, doesn't mean we're not, but we do. We need to, we need to be saturated with the word of God. But now the focus comes on Christ. And, and what the focus does here, what the shift does is it points out to us what Christ is like. And when you begin to see what Christ is like and the love that Christ has for us and the compassion he has shown us, toward us and the sympathy he has and empathy that he has toward us all of a sudden the burden is lifted off of my shoulders because it even though I I'm called to do things and I'm challenged and encouraged and commanded to do things by the Word of God when my focus is on Christ those things tend to fall into place When Christ is the center of my my life and the center of my family and the center of my church and when it's the mind of Christ I seek to have and, and the humility of Christ that I want to put on all of a sudden all the things that we've been called to do as believers become like second nature to us. When Christ is in the right place in our life when he is the preeminent one in our life then all of a sudden what I need to do I am learning through the Spirit of God who is teaching me because Christ is the center of my life. And my hope is in Christ and nothing else. And so we serve a high priest who has passed through the heavens, both the, the visible cosmos and, uh, and the spiritual heaven. and um, And it doesn't stop there. Let us hold fast our confession, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. I want to make sure you catch a glimpse of the kind of high priest that we have as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as fellow humans, mankind, uh, we can try to sympathize with others. We can try to empathize with others. We can try to walk a mile in their shoes. The problem is we can never really feel what they feel. It doesn't mean we're not trying to be there. We we need to be there for one another. We need to to share our burdens and confess our sins to one another and uh, encourage and edify one another in Christ. But there's a limit to what we can fully understand about someone else's suffering. And so it's why, naturally, listen, when we tell people that we know what they feel, as good intention as we may be, we don't know what other people are feeling. We can't feel what they're feeling. We have sympathy toward them, and we, we try to be empathetic toward them. And we want to walk through this with them and the burden they're having. But we can never know exactly what they're feeling. So, so my language has changed a little over time. And those, those people who are suffering, whatever the means may be, it, it, it may be inequalities in our society. It may be the loss of a loved one. I would never insult someone by saying that I know how you feel. Um, even if I've experienced a situation that's very similar, my experience and their experience is different. Uh, we're praying for you. We don't know how you feel, but we're here for you. If you want to talk about your problem, if you just want somebody to listen, if you just want somebody to make a pot of coffee, Uh, if we can serve you, we want to serve you. Boy, we sympathize with your situation. But the truth is, as men and women, we don't know what other people feel. And sometimes we can express that the best we can, and yet still people don't know uh, how you feel when you're struggling, when you're going through pains in this life. But what this passage teaches us is that Jesus Christ knows how you feel. So it's not just this intellectual thing that Jesus knows because he's God, um, what you're going through. He knows about your pain and your depression and your, tremblings and your sensitivities and but what scripture says is that we serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin and so when we go before God in prayer and, and, and I'm, I'm just trying to walk through this just as slow and succinct as I can because I think it's so important that when we go to Christ, we're not going to some deist view of a God who, there's a God out there, but he doesn't care about us, wrong. There's a God who cares so much he came and experienced and felt everything but without sinning. His response to all those struggles that he had. His response to how to deal with his pain and his suffering. And his loss. His rejection. His depression. Christ knows how you feel. And all those things. Yet he responded in a way that was not sinful. And so you can talk to Christ. And Christ knows more about the way you feel from experience than any other person in the universe can and that takes us to like Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about the mind of Christ the humility of Christ and there's this there's this really beautiful Greek word it doesn't sound that beautiful but it's this Greek word called kenosis and it and it means that Christ emptied himself in order to come as a servant right so he's still divine, fully divine, fully God. And yet he empties himself of those attributes that would prevent him from coming in the flesh as fully man. And so we have this union of both 100% God and 100% man. And, and Philippians 2, just a beautiful chapter. I encourage you to go read it, right? That, um, that he emptied himself, took on the form of a man, uh, endured all the way to death, even death on a cross. That's the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one we pray to. That's the one that we serve. We serve the one who served us. And We get to experience the one who has experienced all we ever will. And so when we're struggling and we're hurting and we're going through difficult times in our life, there may be no other human on earth that knows exactly how you feel. Even though we'll be there for each other. We'll love one another. We comfort one another. We're, we listen to one another. We edify one another. Build each other up. Encourage each other. Love each other. But There's only one who truly knows how you feel. And that's Jesus Christ, your high priest. And so when you go to him in prayer... Just remember that as you talk to Christ, he not only senses, but feels what you feel. That's just the kind of Savior that we serve. I love this passage. Um, He feels what we feel. He knows what we know. He hurts like we hurt. But in all those things, he went through them and made it through them without sin. And verse 16 gives us another therefore, right? Therefore, since we serve this great high priest, therefore, since we have the word of God that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts through all the mess and all the, the junk, that we have this rest that we can enter to by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of all these things, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Let us go before the very throne of God. Let us go before the throne with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need or in our time of need. And so I pray chapter 4 has been encouraging to you. Um, The first 12, 13 verses seem um, to be about our not a, not, not a work or salvation by works. It's not that. The first 14 verses, the writer of Hebrews is kind of telling us what we, our attitude needs to be and how we need to walk and how we need to be in the Word of God and how we need to uh, put our faith and our trust in Christ. But then the last three verses take the attention off of us. Place the attention where it deserves to be on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And ultimately tells us that as we're struggling in this life. And as we're hurting in this life. That we have a savior who knows how we feel. And therefore we should approach the throne of grace boldly. Right. Um, And so that would be my prayer for us tonight. Is that whatever it is we may be dealing with. And whatever it is we may be facing. uh, Whatever response we may have had to a circumstance. And. Uh, whether we, um, whether it's repentance that we need to seek before God's face, whether we need to intercede for someone else before the throne of grace of God, whether we're going through things and we feel like nobody understands, there's someone who understands. Christ understands. He feels what you feel. And so tonight, I would encourage you: whatever it is you need, whatever it is you're suffering through, um, go boldly before the throne of grace. Yeah, that's the kind of high priest we serve. I pray that if, that Hebrews four's been good to you. Thanks.